Thank you, everyone. Hey, it's great to see you. Welcome. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're going to open your word now. We ask that you just teach us, that you enlighten us, that you edify us, that you encourage us, that you strengthen us, that you help us see more clearly. Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask we do so with reverence and awe. We know that your word has power. We're asking for that power to transform us into the image of Christ, to change our minds, to change our opinions, to butt up against all of our worldly attitudes and challenge them, and change us so we can glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 28, where I'll be bracing my thoughts. Matthew 28, famous passage of Scripture. And as we begin to study the Word of God, let's say our verse of Scripture together that we're uh, akin to, alike to, in doing in Troy, and I'll lead you in it because we don't have anything printed. It's from 1 Peter chapter 1, and we recite this together to help us understand the importance of the Word of God in our lives. Just repeat after me, please. All flesh is like grass, all flesh is like grass. and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. We're in such a shakable world right now, but we can always come to the word of God and find our feet on rock, on stone. Thanks be to God. Shelly, you have brochures, is that right? Thank you for that. Uh, I want to take a moment here to put one in every family's hand. Uh, I know what happens at the end of meetings with children and uh, getting the hamburgers and everything else. So if we could just, young man, where's Samuel? Can you help out? You two guys come over and help out. Let's get one in every, raise your hand. Each family representative, raise your hand. Make sure we got one in your hand. One for each family. If you want to take one for somebody else you know that's not here or give it to a friend, you can do that too. You'd qualify as a young man, absolutely. So does Dale Massey. He qualifies as a I see that hand. Oh, Dale, there we go. He gets in. Well done. I probably made a mistake because now you're going to be looking at the brochure for the next 20 minutes. So now that you have the brochure, tuck it inside your Bible and you can look at it later while we look at the Word of God together. Okay, Matthew 28. And there will be more, Shelley, if you want to put them up here, like Mike said. You can take some more if you'd like. If you have friends that you know are interested in being a partner with us, uh, we'll take anybody, even pagans. Let them contribute to the extension of the kingdom of God. It'll be a noble thing. <clears throat> okay, uh, Matthew 28. You're familiar with this passage of Scripture. It reads this way, verse 18. And Jesus said to them, this is after he raised from the dead, of course, and uh, he's instructing them. <clears throat> he spends 40 days with them after resurrection, teaching them about the kingdom of God. He didn't teach them about health and wealth and prosperity. He taught them about the kingdom of God. 40 days. How'd you like to be in that seminar? And during that time, it says, he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations. Oh, what should the church be doing? What's the purpose of the church? What are we supposed to be doing? The, the head of the church has told us clearly the purpose and the mission of the church couldn't be any clearer for us. 
You don't need to make something fancy up and have 17 different opinions. Or I love going to pastor fraternals and what do you think the mission of the church is? What do you think? How about just saying what Jesus said to do? It's the mission of the church. So I want to share with you this morning in my time with you uh, what I consider three elements of fulfilling the Great Commission. Three elements that we need to fulfill the Great Commission. The first element that's necessary to fulfilling the Great Commission is revelation. Say revelation. revelation. Now, revelation of what? Because when you say that amongst charismatic people, you get everything from apples and oranges and flower pots and vines, and you get all kinds of wonderful stuff that comes out. But the Bible is clear that there are certain aspects of revelation we must have to fulfill the Great Commission. It's not something we can bargain on. And it's something, again, that the church should focus on to keep the people of God focused on the mission. And the, so, revelation of what? It's basically two things that are really one. The revelation we're supposed to have, Jesus said it, said it, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, Steve, we know that. I mean, Jesus is Lord and everything. No, 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 no. It's not something that you just mimic or say out loud or try to remember from Sunday school. It's something that becomes part of you. It's a revelation that the Holy Spirit gives you when you're born again and regenerated, that you see something eternal. Even if you don't know where to find it in the Bible, the Holy Spirit begins your journey with a revelation of Jesus Christ and not just go to St. John's Hospital or wherever and see him on a cross in a tree. He's past that now. How are we supposed to see him? Well, Paul tells us in his great prayer for us in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, he prays that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. See that? That, that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. That just means your spirit awakened. It just means spiritual vision having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. This is the great problem with the modern church today. They have no hope. They have nothing in which to dig their heels into and chomp down with their mouth. Your hope is it can't be in a fleeting political party or elections every four years. Your help can't be there. See how fleeting it is. See how temporary it is. And yet people are dashed against the shore as a result of what the world concocts for you to put your hope in. You can't put your hope in those fleeting things. It must be something permanent that's given by the Holy Spirit by way of revelation. You've got to have it if you want to have faith. And we heard from Hebrews already this morning that without faith it's impossible to please God. Oh, I want to please God. Say more. Well, it starts with hope that you would see the Christ. And this is how the Holy Spirit wants you to see him. Don't rent the passion with Mel Brooks or whatever his name is, Mel. Don't, and say, and, oh, I feel sorry for Jesus. No, no, no sentiment. That's not what the Holy Spirit's showing you. He's showing you a Christ who has been raised far above all principalities and powers and every name that can be named. He wants you to see it 
because he knows that when you see it with the eyes of your heart, you will not be moved. There is nothing that Satan or sin or this fallen world can throw at you that will move you off that revelation. It's more than saying, oh, well, God's still on his throne, I guess. It goes well beyond that. You can endure any flaming fire, any dart, any disappointment, you can endure it with a hope that's not transient, but it's permanent. A king who has all rule and authority and dominion. He is God's king from sound two, installed on his holy hill. That's where the word Lord is used there. The word Lord means owner. He's the owner of all things, of human history, of time, of creation, of space, of humans, of anything you can see, anything you could touch. He's the owner of those things. Christ and his victory over sin, Satan, the world, and the grave. And not a little bit. Well, I guess Jesus kind of beat the devil. I mean, I don't always see it, and it's not always like that. But do you see him? He's in total triumph over anything the world tries to produce, anything Satan tries to throw at him, anything sin tries to produce in the earth. He's over it, not only this much, but far above all principalities and powers. If you've got a little plastic Jesus on your dashboard, you're looking the wrong way. This is a Jesus whom heaven and earth can't even contain. This is a Jesus that when you have this revelation, it's like Jeremiah says, a fire inside your bones. You can't have, well, give us, teach us how to evangelize. I, you don't have to. When you have this revelation, you tell everybody, even if you don't know where to find in the Bible. And that fire and that smoke from the temple is coming out of your eyes and nose and mouth. I just made that up. It's not bad. But this is how we're to see Christ when you pray. Do you see a little Jesus that's kind of like stroking his beard? Oh, what a nice little boy. Oh, here's a little something for you today. Is that all you got? Or when you pray, is your eyes lifted to this scene in the heavenly court where Jesus is Lord and his authority is not challenged? Christ in his regal majesty with his train filling the temple. This is what Isaiah saw, and he was a prophet. He was, according to the law, a righteous man, and he just fell into pieces. The word says he he fell apart when God was revealed to him in all of his might and power. I'm suggesting to you he saw the eternal Christ already installed on God's throne because God doesn't deal in time and space like we do. That's why you can say, the whole earth is filled with my glory. Well, it sure doesn't look like it. No, no, you've got to get a different perspective in order to make it through the slush and slime of today's world. So what's the second revelation? There's two, I said. The second revelation is the hope to which he's called you. Not only does the Holy Spirit show you the Christ, the owner, the train filling the temple, ascended to the highest place, name above all names. But he also reveals to us, the Christian, the elect, the regenerate ones, the hope to which we've been called. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. 
What you hope for precedes faith. Well, I hope to have a Cadillac and I hope to have a house at Table Rock and I hope to... That's it? That's where your revelation leads you? <laughs> Open your eyes, let the Holy Spirit fill your heart and mind with a, a vision that's so grand it, it, you feel like you're going to break open. Why do you think whenever anybody saw the resurrected Christ in all of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, they just babbled like, like children? They didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. This is the Jesus who sits at the right hand of God. Do you think he's going to allow all these things to just, oh, well, that happened. Oh, darn, I wish we could have done better. This, uh, the, what a terrible thing. Do you really believe that's really what's happening? Or do you have a vision of this Jesus that we're describing here this morning? But faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The things you can see are temporal, Paul tells us. The things you can't see with your physical eyes, but you can see with the eyes of your heart, are eternal. Now, which ones are you going to live for? Which ones are you going to put your effort into? One that's going to pass away tomorrow, burn away, uh, like chaff in the wind, just blow away? Or are you going to put your, everything, all your efforts into something that will never rust or destroy? Hebrews 11 is about the saints in redemptive history who saw something by revelation. I'm so excited I can't get my pages apart. When they saw the revelation of the Christ seated at the right hand of God in all majesty, and they saw the city that belongs to El Shaddai, Prince Messiah, the completed fullness of the kingdom of God, they all said, I'm going to go for that, not for this. And that's why they unleashed the faith that God gave them towards that. They could have been rich by Pharaoh, but they say, you know, forget that. That pales in comparison to that. Remember, Paul, Peter said this, this is that. What was he seeing when he preached like Superman? I mean, this is the coward Peter, 50 days before, denied the Christ. What happened to him? I'll tell you what happened to him, revelation. This carpenter guy who told him how to fish that he always had bad attitudes about, that's not, that's not who fully who he was. This was God. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father just as he promised, and he's throwing down. I mean, Peter, watch your words, man. This Jesus whom you crucified. Pete, calm down. Do you know what they do to people that talk like that? It, did, it didn't matter one whit to him anymore. Because he saw the resurrected Christ, not on transfiguration in Mark 9, but seated in his permanent place of dominion. And he saw the fullness of the kingdom of God, so that when he saw the guy at the temple, he said, when I, where I come from, we don't have people like you. Get up! A sign of what he saw. Not to have a campaign with a tent, but to go about always communicating the kingdom, communicating what you see, communicating what you see, and living for it. Hebrews 11.3, Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. 
Are you only looking forward to your country home, a little retirement? Oh, I can fish now. That's it. You've been born again to a living hope. And all you're going to live for is a fishing trip. Come on. Let the Holy Spirit get a hold of you in a new way. You've got this Bible series called Renew. Get renewed. See what we're talking about. Ask the Holy Spirit and don't get up from your knees until you see it. The old Pentecostal tradition of praying through has merit. Stay down there until God breaks your heart with this vision because you will never be the same. He was looking forward to the city which has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Abraham, what are you looking forward to? Aren't you tired of these tents? Yeah, I'm looking forward to buying a lot out in the country, just building a home and just retiring there and just have people come visit me. What do you hope for, Abraham? I see a city. I'm a part of that. I know God said something about Palestine, but that's just down payment stuff. That's little change compared to what we really are inheriting. Verse 16, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Do you desire that? And in a minute, I'm going to bust your bubble if you're from a Baptist tradition. Not, this is not about going to heaven. I'm not talking about going to heaven. I'm talking about something else. Hebrews eleven twenty six. Moses, he considered the re reproach of Christ greater wealth. Get that? The reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking not to the treasures of Egypt, but to the eternal reward that he was going to be a part of. 1127, Moses, for he endured as seeing him who was impossible. Are you flagging? Are you losing vitality? Are you losing energy for the things of God? Are you getting an oh well attitude? Are you getting ready to compromise? Join Moses in enduring by seeing him who is invisible. Well, well, how do I do that? Everything. Read your Bible. He'll show you himself. But I want God to speak to me in his, in his own voice. I want to hear his voice. Then read the Bible out loud. <laughs> and God will reveal himself to you. Denny, you like that one? You can get a tattoo right here on that one. The hope. What's the hope? What were you born again for? What were you regenerated for? Why did Christ go through all that he went through? For what? The hope that you would be part of a city, a better country, the reward. And let me speed this up for you, okay? It's the fullness of the kingdom of God. That you would be a citizen of another realm, a participant that you were born into this realm already. That's why you feel the tension. Paul felt it. Should I go? Should I stay? Well, I need to stay to teach them more about this king in this city, because that's apostolic foundation. Even Jesus lived for this hope. Hebrews 12, which is right after Hebrews 11, says in verses 1 and 2, let us run with endurance. There's that word again. The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before him. The joy wasn't that you would be snatched 
from a, as a fiery brand, you wouldn't go to hell, that you would just merely be saved from God's wrath, that you'd be just merely saved for your sin. That was not his joy. His joy is that because of his act of removing sin, you would become a joint heir with him in the reward, in the fullness of the kingdom of God, in the city that he owns, that you would become one with him in that. Well, thank you, Lord. That's, that's pretty good. I mean, help me with work tomorrow. Please. Let the Holy Spirit just lift you off your chair for one single solitary moment. If you want to say amen, that would be really appropriate right now. Because I'm about to burst open here. Saved by Christ to be in union with him, joint heirs with Christ, inheritors of an immortal, eternal kingdom ruled by Prince Messiah. And here's where my mind goes, folks where there is no more death, no more sin, no more corruption, no more regret, no more failure, no more pain, no more disappointment, no more needles for diabetics, no more loss, no more debt, no more fear, no more disease, no more poverty, no more, no more tyrannical governments, racism, Funeral parlors, hurricanes, police, war, strife, only righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Come, Lord Jesus. You were born for this realm. That's why you're semi-uncomfortable in this one. The more you give yourself to the realm, this realm, and to serving Jesus, the more happy you'll be. To bring in the kingdom of God into the earth requires revelation of the exalted Christ and the hope of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the first element, revelation. The second, these will go, go fast now. The second element of fulfilling the Great Commission is action. We are told to go to the nations. Not just read books about it, not sing songs about it, not dream about it, not just watch videos in the comfort of the meeting about it, but to go in our revelation to the ends of the earth. That's a commission we have. Now, if your calling is not like Mike's or someone else's in this meeting to actually physically go, you're, no, you're, you're also a participant. There's so many ways, praying, giving, uh, Responding to the brochure, not just tossing it in your um, glove compartment and getting involved. Asking questions. Mike and I are, and Stephen, we're available. What can I do? Maybe some of you people want to get together and sponsor your own container or something. We'll give you, show you how that's done. Or you want to get some friends from the office and say, hey, we're working into this nation, and maybe something can happen. I don't know. All I'm saying is the creative Holy Spirit can give us all ideas how we can evolve. The third element in fulfilling the Great Commission. The first element is revelation. The second element is action. The third element in fulfilling the Great Commission is making disciples. Not just giving bags of rice, not just setting up clinics, and not just giving handouts. All those things are important. We need to care for the whole human being. 
But the commission, the mission, the mandate is to make disciples. Making disciples requires trust. It requires a lot of time. It requires a lot of prayers and tears and hugs and pain. It requires teaching the Bible, not just health and wealth. It requires discipline, saying the hard things to people that they might be closer to the image of Christ and stop fooling around with trinkets and toys. We're constantly slapping down most of the teachings from the West that come in and infiltrate these nations and turn them into tokens, little bangly, sparkly things from fast-talking preachers that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And the poor souls who live in desperation every day, they cling to them as if that were their hope. It is not. But we have a guarantee of these results that will glorify the Lord. Because Matthew 28, 20 ends this way, and behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. This is Jesus' kingdom. It doesn't belong to any one little organization or any... This is Jesus' kingdom. This belongs to Prince Messiah. And he's invited us to be in union with him over it. We use the word partnership quite freely, but do you realize in union with Christ, you're invited into his inheritance. He's getting the nations, the nations have been given to Prince Messiah for his inheritance, Psalm 2. He owns them. He says, now you go and tell the people, I own this, and I want my subjects to worship me and serve me. Because that's where the real joy for human beings, no matter what color you are, race, uh, clothes, culture, it doesn't matter. The greatest joy for the human being is knowing God, loving God, and serving God, and giving Him glory. That's where we find our true human happiness. Nothing else will even come close. So in closing, the three elements needed to fulfill the Great Commission are, you know what, I didn't finish (laughs) on discipleship, pardon me. I'm sorry to get ahead of myself here. Uh, it requires uh, patience. It's not as flashy as crusades. A lot of churches, a lot of people put on crusades and show you a multitude of people. And Americans love that stuff. Oh, look, at, oh, it's great. And you send your money to them and you have no idea where it's going. We're not into crusades. I've been in crusades with 10,000 people. Guess what it accomplished? Zip. Nada. No churches, no disciples, nada. So we decided over 40 years ago, we're just going to get in on the ground and we're going to make disciples. It's not flashy, folks, but it'll last forever. It requires patience. Discipling requires a lot of resources of men and money. Mike has been faithful to communicate to you where we are in this. Now it falls to me to say something painful. We're hurting for resources. We've never taken a dime from any of your contributions ever for our personal support. But we're facing in 2021 that I don't have any support for my Caden. New Covenant Church can't supply it anymore. None of the churches we have here can supply it. Living Hope We might have to use those funds we don't want to. And my apostolic fund doesn't have enough money in it. 
So after 40 years of laboring, we're facing this crisis. Just being honest with you. So pray with us, stand with us, because we need a miracle personally in 2021. God needs a man to till the ground. It's not going to happen out in outer space. God's given us a man, and I want to take care of his needs here so he can be loose to do what God's called him to do. So I'm just announcing to that. That's the end of the plea. We're going to have a heap offering this month. Uh, ours is on the 22nd, Don. And um, I don't know when yours is, if you're going to take one or not. I'll leave you to that. But uh, consider giving. Consider what I've had to say to you. It's painful. I don't like saying these things. But we want to continue. We don't believe God's told us to fold up the tent pegs and just drop everything or give it over to somebody else. We just... It's nowhere in our spirits anywhere. Though we'd like to quit every day. But the Holy Spirit never lets you. But that's where we stand. We're just being honest with you, that's all. So stand with us that we can continue the work that God's given us to do. We have a guarantee of success because Jesus is on the throne. The three elements in summary, revelation of Christ and all authority, of all authority, of the hope of God's glory filling the earth. The second element is action. We're commanded to go, and go we must. And then a commitment to discipleship making, not just evangelizing and not just physical care. I'm going to close with a quote from the great Charles Spurgeon, 1858. He said this, Christ is always described in heaven as sitting down. This seems to me to be one material argument for the salvation of all creation. Christ sits in heaven. Now, he would never sit if the work were not fully done. This is the Jesus we serve. Let's all stand.